in the year 385 AD, a young man was born in Britain who would end up changing the world. Now, if you would have looked at his life on paper up to the middle age in his lifetime, you probably wouldn't have think, thought that this guy would have changed the world. He was captured by pirates at the age of 16. He was sold as a slave. He lived under a foreign land and under a foreign tongue. No one would have thought this would be the guy who would end up changing the world. But this guy named Podrick, better known as St. Patrick, would end up changing the world by changing the country of Ireland with Christianity. Patrick was sent in the mid-5th century as a missionary to Ireland. And from the middle of his life until the end of his life, a coverage of a 30-year period, he preached and taught and baptized in the name of Jesus, and he completely transformed the nature of this country. And what grew out of his work and the work of many others was a stream of Christianity that is sometimes called Celtic Christianity. And Celtic Christianity, like any other stream of Christianity, has much to offer to other streams of Christianity. Celtic Christianity is traditionally considered Christianity that took root in Ireland and Scotland. And one of the key convictions of this stream of Christianity that's been particularly meaningful to me is this concept of thin places. Thin places is this concept that says there are these places and spaces where the presence of God seems particularly close. That thin places are these places and spaces where that barrier between us and God is particularly close because God feels particularly close in those places, spaces, and moments. Celtic Christianity reminds us that all of life is sacred, but there are these certain pockets and places that are particularly thin because the presence of God feels particularly vibrant there. And whether or not you've ever heard this phrase or concept before, I'm sure you could name some thin places in your life as well. Maybe it's a particular retreat center. Maybe it's a particular place in nature. Maybe it's a particular geographical location in our country. Maybe it's a particular worship assembly gathering place. Whether you've heard this concept or not, I'm sure you could name some thin places in your life, some places where God's presence has felt particularly close to you. And if I were to sum up one of the central things that Paul is trying to tell Timothy and that Paul is trying to tell us this morning, that is we should view Scripture as a thin place. That Scripture is this place where the presence of God is particularly close to us. Paul writes this letter to Timothy giving him a variety of instructions. And some of the instructions that he gives him in chapter 3 is kind of a warning to Timothy. Paul warns Timothy about some deceitful and some deceiving teachers that could pull him astray. And one of the ways that he 
pulls him back on a right path is he reminds him of where his path started in the first place. Teaching from the Holy Scriptures, from the sacred Scriptures. That it was the teaching there that started the faith of Timothy, and he wants it to continue. Now, based on what Paul has said earlier in the letter, Paul's probably referencing his teachers, Eunice and Lois, his mother and grandmother, who were the first teachers of Scripture to Timothy. These women were the first people to introduce Timothy to the faith and to ground him in faith in Jesus Christ through the Holy Scriptures. And Paul reminds him of those scriptures as this central anchor to keeping him on the right path. And to put a fine point on it, Paul says something about scripture that we shouldn't skip over too quickly. He uses this really important phrase. He says, all scripture is inspired. Now, what's really interesting about this word is it's actually two words in the original language, a word for God and a word for breathe. So like the translation that Cliff read this morning, some translations translate this one word as the two literal words it is, a word for God and a word for breathe. All Scripture is inspired, literally. All Scripture is God-breathed. In other words, Paul is saying to Timothy and Paul is saying to us that something is happening in Scripture where it is this place where God is breathing. It's this place where God is speaking. It is a thin place. It's a place where that barrier between us and God is particularly thin and the presence of God is particularly close. And we should pay attention to this, not just because of the words that Paul uses here, this one word that's really two words, but we should also pay attention to this because there's these two stories from the Old Testament that are informing Paul's use of this word here. There are these two moments in the Old Testament where we find God breathing. And by paying attention to those stories, we are able to better hear what Paul is saying to Timothy and what Paul is saying to us about what it means to say that all Scripture is God-breathed. The two stories that I'm referencing are from Genesis 2 and Ezekiel 37. Now, in Genesis 2, what we read there is about God creating human beings. God taking dirt and dust and forming human beings. And then God does something significant. God breathes into the humans the breath of life. And so these human beings become living beings. In other words, God takes something very basic, very ordinary, dirt and dust, and God breathes divine life into humans. God brings these very ordinary, basic things to life with his breath. And then the second story is Ezekiel 37, where the prophet Ezekiel is taken to look out over this valley of dry bones. And God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to these bones. And then 
when Ezekiel actually does that, the most amazing thing happens. Skin and flesh begin to form around the bones until it is this valley of bodies, and then God breathes into these bodies, and they become alive again. In other words, God takes something that is very seemingly hopeless and dead and breathes new life into that very thing. And even though these two chapters and these two stories are chapters apart in your Bible, there are two things that hold them together. First, it's that image of God breathing. But the second thing is that they're held together by the same purpose of God's breathing. In Genesis 2, the purpose of God's breathing is to bring these human beings into becoming living beings so that they can work and so that they can have a relationship with God. And then in Ezekiel 37, this valley of dry bones that represents the nation of Israel, God breathes into them so that they can return to the land of Israel and so that they can know the Lord their God. In other words, both Genesis 2 and Ezekiel 37, the two places in the Old Testament where we see God breathing into human beings, breathing into the nation of Israel, is for the purpose of relationship with God. Because knowing God throughout Scripture is is always more than just this head concept. It's always about this holistic relationship with God. God breathes into individuals. God breathes into communities so that they can enter into deeper relationship with God. So I would say it this way. To, to say that the Bible is inspired is to believe that God is breathing through these words in order to draw us in to living relationship with God, with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we talk about Scripture or the Bible being inspired, we're we're making this claim that is there. It is this place. It's this space where as we engage with Scripture, we are drawn deeper into relationship with the God that we meet there. Scripture is this thin place of encounter with God. Scripture is this sacred place made sacred by the presence of God that we meet there. Which is a claim that I think most of us would agree with, but that possibly could challenge some of us. More specifically, it's a claim that could challenge me. And this is the part of the sermon where I want to be a little bit confessional. See, I've grown up around Bibles my whole life because I've grown up around church my whole life. I still remember the first Bible that I received. I was five years old. I was graduating from our church preschool, and I had perfect attendance, and so I was given the gift of a Bible. Now, before you get too impressed with that feat, my mother worked at this preschool, and so I kind of had to go every day, so... Perfect attendance really wasn't a choice, but the reward I received was this Bible. And I remember it was this crisp white box, and you opened the box open, and inside was this pristine white 
Bible. New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs. We don't want to give the Old Testament too early to fifth graders. And so they gave me this New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs, pristine white with gold lettering, had my name on it. And I was so impressed. And I revered this Bible so much that I never even opened it. I just left it in the box because it looked so nice and I didn't want to mess it up. And then I continued to grow up in a church that placed a high value on Scripture. I don't know if you grew up in a church like this, but every once in a while our preacher would do a Bible check on Sunday mornings where he would have people hold up their Bible to show that they had brought them. You didn't have to open your Bible. You just had to bring it with you to church. And that proved to others who the serious Christians really were. It was, a, it was this great thing that the preacher did each week to not only cultivate some arrogance, but some shame. We just divided the congregation into two categories. Continued to grow, continued to grow up around people who told me to take the Bible seriously, and I did. Memorized verses. I did things called Bible Bowl. I don't know if anyone else did Bible Bowl. Bible Bowl was this, this thing where you would pick a book and you would study it for weeks, and then you would go and compete with your peers to prove to them that you knew the Bible better than they did. It was like we were growing and cultivating young proof textures from a very, very young age. I was going to prove to you I knew the Bible better than you. So Bible Bowl kind of helped me to learn the Bible. I memorized Scripture. I went to college, and I majored in the Bible. I majored in the Bible, which is a crazy thing to say to someone who doesn't have much church background. And again, I was taught more of the same, that we take the Bible seriously. We study the Bible rigorously. And for all of those lessons that I was taught, from the time that I was very young until the time I graduated college, I am grateful for every one of them. Except one thing except one thing that I wish someone would have taught me. And and I don't know if I picked this up directly or indirectly, because I know the people who raised me to love the Bible, and I know their hearts. But there was this one thing that I wish I would have been taught directly along the way. And it's simply this. The Bible is not an end in itself. The Bible is a means to an end. But the point of the Bible is not to point us to itself, but the point of the Bible is to point us to God. The point of the Bible is not just so that we will know and revere the Bible, so that ultimately we will know and revere God. And if we miss that, then we miss the point. To borrow an illustration from another preacher, imagine this morning if we took a trip to the Grand Canyon. And we got in a bus, a very big bus. We grabbed our map. We opened our map. And we realized, okay, we've got to head west. So we start heading west. And we drive a little further. And then we open our map again. We realize we're on the right interstate. So we keep going a little further west. And we keep driving and checking our map and driving and checking our map. And then finally we get to the Grand Canyon. And we open our map and we follow the map to the edge of the Grand Canyon and we walk up to the edge of this beautiful, amazing, jaw-dropping canyon and we look at each other and we say, what an amazing map. 
this is the best map that I've ever seen. I love this map. We would kind of miss the point of the map if we said that when we got to the Grand Canyon. Because the map is important. The map is essential. The map is critical. But the map is ultimately intended to lead us to something more vast and awesome and jaw-dropping than could ever fit on a page. We miss the point of the Bible if we think that the point of the Bible is just intended to point to itself when it's intended to point us to God. Or to borrow from another preacher, we should kind of think of the Bible in the same way that we think of John the Baptist. That John the Baptist was not the light. John the Baptist was sent to testify to the light, to be a witness to the light, Jesus Christ. And that is the function that the Bible serves. It's intended to point us to Jesus. Or another way to say it is, the Word of God... The Word of God, the Bible, is intended to point us to the Word of God, Jesus Christ. The Word of God, lowercase w, the Bible, is intended to point us to the Word of God, capital W, Jesus Christ. That the point of the Bible is not to point us to itself, but ultimately to point us to God. I like the way that Eugene Peterson says it. He says that not everyone who gets interested and excited in the Bible is all that interested or excited in getting involved with God. It's this stark reminder that we can know our Bibles and engage our Bibles and study our Bibles, and we should, but that we can do all those things and never desire cultivate a relationship with the one who is breathing through these pages. Because that's the thing about a thin place. A thin place is never intended to lead us to worship the place, but it's intended to lead us to worship the one that we meet in that place. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But that's the one that we ultimately worship. And so now I'm I'm trying to read my Bible with some different expectations. I'm trying to read my Bible now with the expectation that I'm not just learning the words, I'm not just studying the words, but I'm also coming to learn about the one who breathes through those words. That, That I come to the Bible now with the posture of openness, not just to these texts, but also to the one who we're pointed to through these texts. That I listen for the God of love speaking through these words. One of the most helpful books that I've discovered in recent years on how to read the Bible well, how to read the Bible better, is a book called The Blue Parakeet by Scott McKnight. And what's really helpful about this book is he talks about reading as an act of listening and listening as an act of love. That when we love someone, we really listen to that person. That you know that you love someone based upon if you really listen to them. And so when we read scripture, we should read as though we were listening 
to someone that we love and someone we trust loves us. And he talks about listening in three big categories. He kind of looks at the word listen and how it's used throughout Scripture, and he said there's these three big definitions for the word listen. Attending, absorbing, and acting. But when you read the word listen used throughout Scripture, it carries one of these three definitions usually. So that when we read, we attend to God. In other words, we read with this posture of giving attention to the voice of God that we believe speaking through Scripture. That when we love someone, when we listen to someone, we pay attention, we attend to them. But we don't just stop there. That's not the only sense of listening throughout Scripture. There's this other sense of absorbing that happens. So, so this is the distinction that we make sometimes when we're talking to someone and we say or they say to us, you hear me, but you're not really listening. There's this deeper sense of actually absorbing what someone is telling you. It's like eating a fine meal or having a wonderful drink. You savor it and you take it slow. You absorb the flavors there. And we do that when we read Scripture. But listening also has this component of acting. That there's life change. That we act differently in light of what we hear from God. Because real listening always leads to real life change. That real listening to the God who loves us is, is always going to cause us to love God and love others more. Now, if you find this to be a helpful template, if you want to read a little bit more about that, I've created a little half green sheet of paper that's on that circle table in the foyer. You can grab it. It can be a way in which you read through different passages of Scripture that helps us to slow down and to listen so that we can engage God through Scripture. And that's the key phrase, that we engage God through Scripture. Because I am ever more convinced that we need to be people of the book fully and firmly believe that, but only to the extent that it leads us to become more the people of God. And I am ever more convinced that we need to be students of the Word, the Bible, but only to the extent that it helps us to become more fully committed students of the Word, capital W, Jesus Christ. I would say it this way, my what hasn't changed, but my why has changed. My what is the same. I, I still think that we should study and read and read together, memorize Scripture, engage the Bible, be committed to the Scriptures in the same way Paul encouraged Timothy to be committed to the Scriptures. But my why is different. My why is no longer just so that I know my Bible better than you. Or that I get a sense of contentment and pride because I know my Bible. But ultimately, that we're committed to the Word so that we can be more committed to God. That we can be faithful in our study of the Bible so that we can be more faithful men and women of Jesus. That we are more fully committed students of the Word so that we are more fully committed students of the Word of Jesus Christ. And so let's be people who read the Bible, who engage these sacred scriptures, but not just 
as any book, but as this thin place. This place where we encounter the God who is speaking and breathing new life into you and to me so that we can come to know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit more fully than we ever have before.